Okay, so hello. My name is Tanner Lytle, and I'm here with Wyatt Carson. We're trying to figure this out, so it's going to be me bumping my table a lot, me not talking at consistent levels, me rambling and saying a lot of ums, you knows, and things that I'm not supposed to actually say, and we'll probably have to edit out at a later time. And I have a potty mouth, so I'm trying to... I did when um, when we're setting up stuff. It's like, is it safe for children or explicit material? And I was like, oh, it's probably going to be ex- explicit material. I say, eh. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Anyways, so we call this decentralized opportunities because both Tanner and I are from rural Midwest. Doesn't have to be about Midwest, but we are fascinated with entrepreneurship in rural less. Um, metropolitan areas where all the resources don't necessarily exist that you might have startups or co-op working spaces, things like that. We're fascinated with people who want to start businesses and really expand upon that. But they may be in rural Nebraska. They may be in India. They may be in some crazy country we've never heard of. Who knows? Um, It's pretty easy to hear about all the Silicon Valley stuff happening, right? Um, some great stuff happening in Europe and, and London and all those places that are major metropolitan areas where people just come together to create amazing things. But what about all those people around the world, the other 98%, I made that number up, uh, of people who have these phenomenal ideas but don't have access to the same resources or think tanks that some people do? Yeah, it's all about you know finding unconventional ways to solve problems with, um, in places that you wouldn't traditionally think about. Um, so many times we only hear the, the stories from the big cities for, and from the people who are just around the people that report it, but you know, there's so much knowledge and so much information from people that you maybe have never would even considered before. And they would do it in ways that you would have never even realized would have been possible. So we, we just kind of want to explore that, talk about business life, um, our journey, as well as, you know, the hear stories from people who have, you know, done it themselves as well. Absolutely. Speaking of stories, Tanner, (laughs) you're a unique individual because you have a unique experience in this field. So quick, quick pitch. Tell me your experience, Tanner. What, what, why are you here? Oh, we've kind of, yeah, my career journey as it's been. So um, I guess really started what was around 20, 21 years old, where uh, my neighbor and one of my friends came over and was like, Hey, there's a business plan competition. We should start a business. And we didn't really think much of it. We pitched it, um, kind of rolled some ideas around and ended up coming up with a concept for a game store. We did some preliminary work, put together a business plan, didn't think anything of it. They said the deadline was going to be September or something like that. So September came, rolled past and okay, we weren't finalists. And then a week before the competition um, was going to happen, we get a phone call saying like, oh my gosh, we're so sorry. We're behind. You are finalists. We want you to actually present. So we scramble, get a presentation built in basically a weekend and end up winning the business plan competition. And so I'm thinking, okay, uh, game store, this will be a fun evening, weekend project. You know, we can do that. I'll just keep my day job and I'll work it with some friends and quickly realized that that was much more than I could have ever imagined. Ended up working that full time, did that for over a decade um, and ended up selling 
um, my company to my business, my take of the company to my business partner and moving on to some other stuff, ended up doing managed IT services. And now I uh, work in IT staffing, just really connecting companies and businesses to the right IT opportunities. So it's been kind of a, a weird journey. Um, also, one of the new, unique things for me, um, and we can talk about it on this podcast, is um, the ability to work for a company that's four hours away. Um, I believe why you work for one that's even farther than that. But, you know, before we were always local, you know, working with local companies, um, wherever, you know, you could drive through to in just a few minutes, but now you can work remotely and for other, you know, have opportunity with places that you've never even thought of before and interact with people that you wouldn't have had the opportunity to do so before. Absolutely. So. And the business you start still exists. It's expanded. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife even worked for you at one point. That's funny. true. Yeah. 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 She's very fond of that, those memories, game stores. And, and she, she's not a gamer by any means. So it's funny to hear her talk about that. So very cool. I didn't know that you guys almost didn't get into the competition. It was so haphazard. Um, well, we just didn't really have any expectations going into it. We thought it was something fun. We used to play Magic the Gathering and our basements and do drafts and decks and things like that. And we really enjoyed video games at the time. We were all completely addicted to World of Warcraft. So it was it was our lives and we just kind of built something around it, which we knew a lot about and we really enjoyed. And um, from that, I mean, we got some pretty incredible experiences from it, built some amazing communities. Um, like you were saying, we expanded. I ended up, we opened our second store a year or two after our first store. I ended up moving to Kearney, Nebraska. Um, after that, we ended, opened up a one in North Platte and then one in Grand Island. Um, so it was a really neat opportunity to learn business every day. Um, you learn something new, step, trump, slip and tumble about and um, get things going. Uh, and then just really meet interesting people, be with a lot of people who grow communities, have some great employees, lots of great friendships um, that still do continue to this day, even though I'm not in the day-to-day or in the business anymore. I still feel a strong connection with a lot of the people I've met through that journey. Absolutely. I, it was fascinating when, when I heard that you opened business. Uh, <laughs> Tan? Yeah. Who, what would he do? He's just a computer nerd. And yeah. yeah. Last I That's knew you were, you were sitting in front of your computer playing world of Warcraft for like 10 hour sprints. I, I don't know. Oh, at least. <laughs> and, and that was the thing. Like, that's all we did for the longest time. Um, you know, but just the good jolt, jolt and put yourself out there and some accountability and people who actually, you know, you put things in motion, motion that you actually start doing. And then from there, it's amazing what can really blossom. And I still take that to, to heart now, even just like what we're doing with this podcast, we don't want to over prepare it over do, um, you know, produce it or anything like that. We just want to do it and we'll get better and we'll iterate and hopefully make a product eventually that someone will want to listen to. But until then, it's just fun to do the motions and, you know, improve. And I think about that in all aspects of everything I do. And I'm trying to be more of an active person rather than a, someone who's just thinking about things and maybe they'll do them. So that that's kind of a, a great story about how you, you and I got here together right now. You mm-hmm. know, we've been friends for 14 years, maybe. 
Um, we, we've really known each other for a long time. Um, but we're here today because you and I share a common interest in the business in general. Um, you and I, you know, we talked on the side about all these books we're reading and these podcasts and these YouTube channels. We share them back and forth and we've talked about them. And, um, when, when COVID happened, we started having, you know, online friend meetings and stuff like that. And, uh, just for fun to, you know, not make us go insane. But you and I, out of our entire group of friends, talked about business more than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and I, I, I appreciate your statement about being more of a doer. Uh, if you look right behind me, see that shelf? That's all business books. Like, And that's wonderful. Like, I've gained so much knowledge. I love this stuff. But at some point, you have to be like, when am I going to stop listening to other people's stories and go make something, do something myself? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, I think that segues us pretty well into kind of going into your story a little bit. If you want to tell us about you know, how you got to where you are today. Cause it's a pretty unique path that you've taken. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Southwest Nebraska, I graduated high school there. Um, and didn't have much prospects. I was a solid C student guys. Um, so I did what any solid C student in rural Nebraska does. And I joined the army. Um, fortunately, um, I got into a really cool job in the army. I was, I was an intelligence analyst for eight years. Um, and that was where I learned a lot of really valuable skills. I, I presentation, oh, see, there's those bumping the mics, presentation skills, um, the ability to speak in front of crowds, groups, um, and those, and lots of other things, you know, Excel, those sort of things. But those skills that I learned in the army translated into the business world really easily. And I've always told myself, you know, if, if I can, if I can brief a general or a colonel every morning, there's not a single VP or CEO out there who really intimidates me, right? When you have a colonel yelling at you, I'm not concerned about VP. So that helped in, in my presentation style. So I deployed, I did all these things and I came back home and I was jobless. I lost my job while I was deployed. So I needed a job. I applied for one at an insurance company, uh, insurance and finance as a business intelligence analyst. At this point I had no college. I mean, I had some through the army, but it was all in criminal justice. I think originally I went and, uh, I applied and they called me back and I interviewed. And I was like, there's no way, no way they're going to hire me, but I was applying for other things. And I worked briefly as a manager at a drum, uh, guitar center. So that was fun. But anyways, they called me back and they offered me the job. I was ecstatic because not only did I get a job, yay me but it was way more money than I ever thought I could get. And at that time, it's, it's not even that much money, but back then it was huge to me. Um, so I did that and I Googled my way through that job. I, I knew how to do Excel and I can make PowerPoint presentations and I could speak confidently. And those three skills really carried me after a few months, I got a promotion. I learned a new skill. I got into process improvement, which is where I'm at today. And, um, I've just kept moving around. I've been in lots of different industries since then. So I've been in the entertainment industry. I've been in pharmaceutical manufacturing. I've been in the SaaS industry, um, startup SaaS, which was pretty fascinating stuff. I then worked in a, uh, this is a long pause. We're going to have to cut it because I can't remember the name. I worked in a franchise opportunity. I worked for a corporate, I worked at the corporate for a franchise opportunity. And then I lost my job because of COVID and I really started to evaluate what I was going to do with my life. Um, 
I ultimately stumbled upon consulting and what you talked about remote work. I considered consulting before years ago, but I didn't want that life, the travel. Um, I worked with tons of consultants over the years. Um, and they, some of them traveled five days a week year round. And I have a family that's not the life for me. And for them, wonderful. I, I, I respect that, but it wasn't the life for me. So I never went into consulting. I never dipped my tone to that. But COVID was a blessing in disguise because remote opportunities became abundant. So now I'm in consulting. I'm a managing consultant for a wonderful firm. I'm really happy to be with. They're, they're, a good, they're good people, and it's given me opportunity to see even more industries and to help other people. And yeah, I learned skills along the way. I went to college, you know, those sort of things. But those three fundamental skills I learned in the Army carried me through. Excel, PowerPoint, and executive presentation. Those three skills um, turned me from, you know, the, the random kid who had no opportunities in Southwest Nebraska into a consultant. I, I never would imagine I was here. Um, so while I've never started a business, I've never been in the entrepreneurial field, I'm fascinated with it. And now that my, my skill set is geared towards helping companies get better and improve and make more money, um, I love the concept of helping others. And, and not just in a consulting for, you know, capacity, but, but really putting my skills and my knowledge out there to help others if I can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the unique things I really love to explore with you over the series of these you know, episodes and things like that is, um, you know, we have experience working with very small companies, you know, like basically just something you're doing on your own. Like I've done a lot of freelance, um, small, you know, micro business, small business, medium sized business. And then currently both of you and I, we work, you know, with enterprise level clients and things like that. So it's, it's a new world for me, understanding the actual like large corporate world and the dynamics and how it goes. And so I'm really excited to kind of explore how, you know, business can be similar, but so different. Oops. As I smack things too, um, but so different, and just I don't know, just dive deep into that world because I'm I really enjoy it. And the other thing that you know you talked about Excel and PowerPoint and presentations, but one thing that I will give you, and I know I share the book too, is just a constant curiosity and learning. Um, so I, I feel like that's really where we both have had our success in terms of never really being complacent in where we're at, always trying to improve within those things. And we can use this podcast really as a vessel to continue that as well. Um, one thing you touched on that, you know, we can discuss a little bit farther is, um, since the podcast is called, you know, decentralized opportunities, uh, remote work, it has really changed yeah, totally. my life. Mm -hmm. uh, just the games of it. So just kind of give me your impression of what you like about it to start. And then maybe we'll dive into a little, some of the things that we didn't foresee going into it as well. I like that. That's a great one. So I love remote work. Like <laughs> for, from here on out, I will never accept a job. If I have to go to an office, there are people who are burnt out from working from home over COVID and the whole lockdown quarantine situation. Um, I thrived in it. I was never a giant fan of the office setting where people were walking by and wanted to start a million conversations with you. And well, I'm not antisocial, but sometimes I just like to put my head down and do my work. Right. Um, so when I got the opportunity to work from home, a whole new world opened to me. Like you said, it changed, it changed my view on work. Now, not only do I not have coworkers constantly wanting to talk to me, 
I know that sounds really antisocial, but trust me, it was excessive. <laughs> I'm an introvert. I'm an introvert by heart. Um, those, those presentation skills, those don't come from being, you know, naturally that expressive. Uh, that was a skill I had to learn. So when I got to be able to sit in my house, I have a refrigerator not too far away from me, my own bathroom, uh, all of this stuff, it changed my perspective because now I was in a comfortable zone and my productivity skyrocketed. There's a lot of stories of people who work from home and just weren't able to do it. They didn't like the atmosphere. They got really kind of cabin fevery. It was the opposite for me. I love it. I, and, uh, I can't imagine going back to an office setting now simply because I found something that fits so perfectly with my personality and it made me a better worker. It made me better at my job. Uh, that's what I love about remote work. How about you? Not having to commute, especially in Nebraska winters is probably my favorite aspect of it all. I can, I get up early. Um, but I have my little home gym, you know, just a few feet away from me. I have my bathroom with my shower, everything, my office, my kitchen's just up the stairs. So having everything just in a nice, neat, compact area to where I can just be more efficient with my mornings, um, is extremely valuable to me. Not having to commute home and waste an hour or so. Even living in McCook, you don't think about how much time it really takes you to, you know, get ready, go to the places, um, get settled in. Um, once you finish up your day to get home, you know, wasting 15 to 30 minutes, you know, just for a short commute across town just does add up. And so the amount of time that I've saved to invest into other areas has probably been by far my favorite thing. Um, cause I did start work, uh, remote working when COVID happened, when I worked for a local company, cause we were forced to, we had to lock the doors, um, we didn't know what was going to be happening. So we all just worked from our home. And thankfully I worked for a managed IT company where we could still service all of our clients to the same degree, just sitting in my home office. But it was kind of my first taste of it. Um, so I really enjoy that. And then just kind of being in the position I am now with a company I'm at now who is based in Omaha. Um, I would have never had access to meet those people, join that team, join that company. Uh, really experience and learn the things that I have if it wasn't for remote work. So I'm very grateful for the amount of opportunities that it opened to me, which is something that I've always struggled a little bit living in McCook, Southwest Nebraska here, where um, there's some amazing people, but there's not a lot of opportunity. It feels like every once in a while. So you're kind of limited, not only on like the restaurants you can eat and where you can shop and the things you can do, but if you are you know, looking for a new job opportunity, I found I had to be more self-reliant and started on my own rather than going out there to an established company or something like that. And I think that's something that's really kind of ingrained a little bit of my entrepreneurial spirit is, um, well, I guess I'll just, I'll do it. And also it, it's something I've been trying to work out of where, um, working in a larger team now, I have to fight those urges to like, not just do everything myself, but be part of a team and, those changes, but yeah, I, I really enjoy just the amount of flexibility that it gives me um, great point. touching on some of the things though, that I don't enjoy quite as much as, um, I would agree with you probably naturally when I was a kid, I was more of a loner. I could sit and play games in my room all day or play with my toys and, and be fine. But really just through working a lot and being around a lot of people built those social skills. And I do find that I, once I am out with a lot of people, man, do I miss that. 
Um, so you want to be smart with your time. Um, but because I feel like I can get a crazy amount of work done, just strap on some headphones here in my office and, um, just get lots of work done. And before you know it, the day's gone by, but the connections that you have with people getting out there and things like that are by far some of the things I do miss. That's, that's a really good point. I, I did recently have the opportunity to travel a little bit with my job and I traveled to a client site. And first off, I hadn't been in an airplane for a couple of years. Um, I tra I used to travel a lot, but I got on an airplane and that was weird. And I got down there and I get into their office building and you know, there's break rooms again. And it, it, it felt so alien to me, but I got a lot done, a lot accomplished because we were right there. I didn't have to send a, a zoom message or a, or a Microsoft teams message and hope they see it and reply. And, uh, that's a great point. You also hit on, on two things that I think circle back around to the decentralized opportunity discussion. Uh, first off you said, uh, travel or your commute. I, mm -hmm. I briefly lived in Denver and I worked in the mountains and it was an hour and a half one way. So that's three hours of my day. I left when it was dark. I got home when it was dark. My family suffered. They didn't enjoy it. You know, when that ended, I suddenly had three hours more of my day and not including, you know, exactly what you said, getting dressed and getting the car ready. A lot, something a lot of people don't think about when they consider remote work is that it's cheaper. Imagine how much money you were spending on clothes, on gas, on car maintenance, on lunch, on snacks, all of these things they added up. And I realized I started saving money by working from home. That's an amazing concept. But anyways, you're absolutely right. I live in Omaha. You live in, in McCook. Mm -hmm. McCook is 7,000, 7, 8,000 7, 8, mm -hmm. people. Yep. That's not many opportunities to find a good, decent job. So when remote work opened up, you're absolutely right. The, the, the world probably opened to you and probably several people in McCook and every other small town in, in the, around the world, honestly, especially in the United States though. Um, suddenly people were able to make a higher income, find a career that was more fulfilling to them and really elevate their own life because of remote work. So I think that's fascinating. It's a really good point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can, there's certain priorities that you hit, especially as you get older, when it comes to like, I came back to McCook for family. Yeah. Um, I lived in Kearney. I could go move anywhere for, there was a period where my grandmother lived in Oklahoma city. So I was considering going down there for a while. Um, but just I mean, my friends were here, not all of them here in Omaha, but yeah, I have a good amount of friends here in McCook, but mostly my parents are here and, you know, other family members. And I actually had some other family that had just recently moved back to McCook as well. And then, um, I met my now wife and her family's here and it's really close. And so those are the bonds and things that really do keep you within a community, but having the ability to go outside of that circle to find, you know, your career work, um, other forms of, um, fulfillment and things like that too, uh, is important. And we're really blessed now to have the opportunities with, um, that the internet can provide and a lot of this remote work and capabilities. And unfortunately, a lot of companies were forced into it for, because of COVID reasons, but, Ultimately, it kind of proved the point that a lot of people were saying before it where, hey, we can kind of work anywhere. We can be a little bit more flexible and do those things and still do it. 
Um, I had a really good discussion. Um, I did. Uh, AIM has an emerging leaders in IT um, course, and I would, um, my company sent me to that, which is really fantastic. And I got in the discussion around, um, you know, with some IT leaders at some bigger enterprises. They were talking about how they feel like, well, we're going to, trend's going to go more back to the office and things like that. And I was like, well, you know, you you can do that, but my I live four hours away from my from my job. If it, they weren't flexible with full remote and those things, they wouldn't have access to talent like me. And not to say like I'm the best thing that's ever happened to them, but it, it can be hard to find the right people for the right teams. And you shouldn't limit yourself just to being regional. You know, opening it up anywhere, uh, embracing a lot of the technology and flexibility, and do so just enables you to have so much more power and growth potential that you wouldn't have been because if McCook is just limited to the employees that it could have in McCook, you know, that's a smaller amount of capability than if it opened up nationwide and same goes with Omaha. You don't realize the talent that is in these small towns. And I would love to, um, again, of course, over this, um, these series and episodes, you know, really explore some of the unique people that are in more rural areas and the stories that they have and the insights they have. And, um, just the unique perspectives that you can get from living in a non-typical area. Absolutely well said. We've been focusing on how's it benefited me? How's you know, I've got a refrigerator, those sort of, but <laughs> it benefits business most businesses, I'll say. And I can't say it benefits mm-hmm. all. Most businesses who are capable of working remote, you know, if you're a nurse, sorry. Um, you know, things like that. Businesses are benefiting too. The the talent pool is massive now for these companies. Um, the, the cost savings themselves. I don't know if you've ever seen an electricity bill for the average corporate building. I have, I worked in one building. Their electricity bill was $80,000 a month. Wow. If you don't have an office, you don't have $80,000 worth of electricity bills, right? You get more talent, reduce space, easier logistics. The, the benefits can be monstrous for the employee and employer. So, but yeah, I really, of, do. Oh, no, oh I was just going to say, um, the one thing that kind of, I, I've been seeing and talking to different people about is them turning their offices less into like large corporate things with lots of desks and cubicles and being more of a hub, like a flex space where you can put on a lot more events, um, do more team gatherings and still have the capability to come in and work for that. So I'm really liking that flexibility for when you do want to be in, um, person, you have the capability to do so in, in a more controlled environment, not necessarily, you know, just running out spaces or um, places that aren't necessarily accommodating to your needs, uh, but still having all the flexibility. So there's just talking about startups and different things like that. It'd be much better to spend not the money on $80,000 on an electric bill for a building, but spend that $80,000 on a special uh, trip or event for your teams to really do the bonding things, get the benefits of in-person, but also get the benefits of remote. Perfect. No, absolutely. Well said. And, uh, you know, sometimes I miss a cubicle. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> we can put one in your basement. I might, you know what? I had to move down to the basement because my kids would just constantly come in and ask me questions and I love my children, but sometimes I'm like, I don't know. Go ask your mom <laughs> in the basement. I put up a baby gate so they can't even come down here. Yeah. Like they don't know how to use it. And I guess that is also, you know, one of the downsides too, from remote work is finding that work life balance and different yeah. things. Um, I have a dedicated office with a door that I can 
kind of lock myself away to. And I don't come into this room unless it's work related. Um, even just kind of filming this podcast a little bit, I get like, hmm, maybe I should go build a space out in the living room or something like that. Um, just because it is a little bit of a, it's nice to shut the door and kind of let that go. Um, so that's one of the barriers I do hear. And you get the occasional screams during a zoom call or oh, yeah. things like that. So, Dog barks. Yeah. And making sure you have that, you don't blur too much life with, uh, work. Bingo. Uh, one thing, one thing that I try to do as well as I dress up for work, even if I'm at no, I know have any calls. I find the days that I end up still wearing a sweatshirt or something like that, or the days I'm not quite as focused as if I want to put on a nicer, you know, button up or something like that and just ready myself for the day. Um, so just those little things that I've been doing kind of help me going and this kind of keep oh my mind. Oh my gosh. Tanner, are you ready for the very first decentralized opportunity? Wyattism? Sure. A quote a mantra. I tell myself about this. It's lame, but are you ready? Ready for, for years. I've told myself this <laughs> look good. Feel good. Feel good. Be good. It's stupid. It's cheesy. It's something I've lived by though. And it's something that's gotten me far in my career. Simply taking a few minutes to, to, you know, shine your appearance up to, to show that you are serious, to show that you're engaged uh, has been valuable to me. And now that I work remotely, it doesn't matter per se, but I find exactly what you said. It's a mental thing. Um, you know, I don't go to work wearing just a t-shirt and shorts. I did it before I tried it because why not be comfortable in your home? I hated it. I felt weird. I felt out of place, but, uh, that's, that's a great point. But you did say something a little, little ways back that I wanted to hit on. Yeah. You talked about hearing about other stories of similar things of people who may not be in a metropolitan, you know, area who are doing amazing things. And I think that's going to be one of the key features on this podcast is kind of highlighting these people who are doing amazing things that may not live in New York city or London, right. Or Silicon Valley. So I've got two things I want to talk to talk to you about. <clears throat> I found two fast, fascinating stories that I'd love to share with you. Mm -hmm. So first one, this is from entrepreneur.com. It's a great article. It's titled when his grandfather's farm was destroyed by an invasive plant. This 17 year old entrepreneur came up with an AI powered solution. So it's a heck of a title, but it's written by a person named Amanda Breen. So synopsis of this article is, uh, this, this kid, his name is Nathan, Nathan Elias. Uh, he visits his grandpa in India a lot. He's from the U S but he visits his grandpa in India. He was 15 years old when he visited his grandpa. And apparently his farm, his grandpa's farm is below sea level. So when that monsoon season comes in, it's really susceptible to flooding. So while he was there and he's 15, he got to see that the flooding came in and just covered the farm, which flooding of the farm is bad. Don't get me wrong. But what was worse, it wasn't about the flood that really kind of got this kid's, you know, wheels turning. It was when that flood came in, it carried a bunch of seeds from plants, invasive species of plants. This one called giant salvinia specifically. So anyways, this kid who already was really smart, apparently he got, when he was in like fifth grade, he used Python coding to do his multiplication tables for him in elementary school. He, he, this kid was already on board, but he thought that he could use AI to help other farmers with their invasive species problems. So he built an app. He developed some web scrapers to kind of get his initial database started and a whole bunch of other really awesome stuff. 
But then he realized that there were already apps out there. And essentially the app you created is you could take a picture with it and it'll tell you what the species of plant is. Mm-hmm. That already existed in apps. So he yep, was thinking. I use that actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My mm-hmm. wife does too. My wife is a, a green thumb and she loves that story, sort of stuff. Yep. So he thought, well, this isn't that special. I have to differentiate. Can you imagine a 15 year old talking about differentiating a product? But anyways, so what he does is he transforms it. It's not just an identification app now. Uh, he, he takes it to a rock star level instead of giving up and losing hope because there's bigger fish there. He pivoted and made his product more niche. What he did was he said, okay, a farmer found a weed in the field and used AI, an AI app to identify it. So what? Um, that does nothing for the farmer to know what the plant is, right? So instead now he's added a few awesome things to it. One in particular, he started a a database of not only invasive plant plant species, but also their location and subsequently where they're traveling. So now he can track this invasive species of plant as it moves across a country. It's pretty fascinating stuff. But then once again, that's cool and all I'd love to see that. What's the value in it? What happens then is once you identify this plant, you get all this information. This is where it came from. This is where the direction it's heading, you know, this location will probably get this plan and so on and so forth. But it also connects people with, uh, people who actively go out and eliminate these species, um, you know, plant experts, botanists, these sort of things who want to track these, and then they can give them tips on how to get rid of this invasive, invasive species. Sometimes roundup just doesn't kill everything. Um, or it'll come back, you know, things, or sometimes roundup's not allowed, um, but it's not always a one size fits all solution to these invasive invasive species. So now it utilizes AI to identify the plant, show you where it came from, show you where it's going and give you tips on how to get rid of it. Also, you can connect to local universities if you have them where they can come in and and inspect this plant and also give you advice on how to get rid of it. So, so far this tool is called invasive AI has prevented and projected more than 10,000 cases of invasive species growth in the U.S. and India, which is fascinating. This kid's now 17, 18 years old. Um, He's received funding and recognition from Google, USAID, the uh, U.S. Agency for International Development, National Geographic, and NASA. He's now in a, he's like a high school junior or something like that. Um, He's already working at the University of Austin, Texas, and working with Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Center. Uh, this this kid is amazing. And just from visiting his grandpa in India and realizing the devastation this one problem can cause and utilizing his knowledge and experience with AI, he was able to create this entire product that's just blowing up. I mean, he has NASA talking to him at 17 years old. It's amazing. What do you think about that one? Yeah. I mean, the story is just incredible, right? Um, and there's a couple, you know, points that we can really dive deep into. Number one is just learning the ability to do something as powerful as coding um, at a young age. Um, that's something that um, I've been talking to people recently where they're starting to introduce coding into elementary school um, and then just burn in and get more advanced as you go through your um, schooling to junior high, senior high, and then eventually to the collegiate level. Because what it really does is it gives you tools that previously no one really had access to, to, you know, solve problems that you haven't think about. Um, so that's, that's one of the first things that the fact that he knew how to code and was competent in it and excited to do it. And then identifying what is a very 
potential regional problem and then solving that, you know, with immediate needs and then just having the foresight, like you were talking about, to take it to a next, another level and iterate and take it to another level and just keep finding more and more value for more and more people. It's just, it's just incredible. And, you know, there's so much to be learned from that where it's how do you take what might be a, a small problem for somebody or a major problem for somebody and then just benefit their lives and the systems and then find more people who have that problem and go, go. So it's a, it's a really cool. Um, yeah, I really enjoy that. And that would have been another thing too, where that would never be developed here in the United States because we don't necessarily have that problem. Um, but the fact that it does in India and the amount of value that it can bring in, um, once it blossoms into something more bigger, uh, then it can be, have other use cases that are much more powerful globally too. Absolutely. Pretty fantastic. Very cool. 10,000 cases already identified and dealt with yeah. because this, this 15 year old's idea, so it's phenomenal. And yeah, and just the power that we have now with computation and the amount of data that computers, especially cloud-based computing that can do, uh, we're just at the early stages of just the amount of power that someone can, um, have at their disposal to solve, you know, these types of issues or problems. Absolutely. All right. Last story. Okay. Hit me. This one is from a website called eustartups.com. I recommend it. It's really cool. It's, I feel like it, in, in the U S we only get like Silicon Valley information. Sometimes, um, we, we tend to forget that, oh my gosh, there's a whole other world out there and they are doing amazing things as well. So this, this article written by Patricia Allen is called Tallinn based cloud factory raises 2 million euro for its scalable zero waste jewelry factory. I had to read further. So I don't think I'm being mean when I say that the jewelry jewelry industry is not known for being a, a, a horribly sustainable or growable industry. Lots of people love making jewelry. Lots of people make really good money off of it. I mean, Etsy is a phenomenal site based around things like this, but it's pretty hard to scale something like that. Now, in in this uh, Tallinn, Estonia, is, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm saying this word right, Tallinn, uh, there's a manufacturing business that just recently received 2 million euros in investment capital to grow their 3d printed 100% recyclable precious metals through an on-demand manufacturing model. So that was a mouthful. Let me break that down. They're 3d printing precious metal jewelry. That's 100% recycled on demand. So what's happening is their, their process is mostly waste-free. It's scalable and completely sustainable. It's phenomenal. They've taken their cool setup uh, to the land of Hollywood even and uh, internet influencers so that someone can launch their own brand of jewelry through a fully managed service through them. Everyone and their mom wanted a t-shirt business in the last couple of years, right? But who thought of starting an on-demand precious metal jewelry manufacturing business? That's insane. So their flexible 3D modeling system helps them design, proof, and send to production in days what could take weeks or months for someone to make before. Um, and it's all branded jewelry. It's not cookie cutter. So you, if you were an influencer, if you're a movie star, if you're a sports star and you want to make your own brand or line of jewelry, you work with this company to design and create it. And not only will they create it, they drop ship it for you. 
So they received 2 million euros from Change Ventures, one of the early stage funds in the Baltics. Um, they already have some big names like direct uh, that, that use their service. Um, individuals like YouTuber Corey X Kenshin. There's a K-pop rapper. I don't know anything about K-pop. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's GOT7, GOT7. I don't know. I, I don't know anything about it. Uh, Mark Twan, DJ Alan Walker, and several other, several other numerous uh, lifestyle brands. They're working with this company. They developed their own style and brand of precious metal, metal jewelry. It's created specifically for them and then shipped by this company. It's fascinating. So their goal with the new money is to begin development on a fully automated on-demand printing hub all around the globe. So multiple 3d printing hubs of their, of their recycle of their 100% recycled precious metals all around the globe to get people their, their jewelry and their branded stuff, uh, in a couple days. It's simply next level thinking It's something I never thought was possible in manufacturing. And I was blown away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, I love that story. Um, cause there's so many different things that they use to, um, you know, really kind of, how should I say this? There's things that they use to overcome a lot of the limitations that a traditional manufacturer would have, right? So in jewelry, you would have certain costs of precious metals or stones or things like that, that you would have a premium to pay on it. So using recycled materials or recycled metals that you could buy at a much discounted rate is is perfect. I mean, that's a brilliant aspect to it. Utilizing 3D technology or 3D printing technology, which has really been blossoming like crazy. I'm a big coming from the gaming world, uh, miniatures and 3D printed miniatures and having the ability to customize your D and D campaign with the exact figure that you want is incredible. I'm a D and D nerd. You can't see yeah. it, but the bottom of this shelf has D and D books. Anyways. Yeah. So that's a, that's an amazing alignment with it too. And then just the ability to do things on demand. Um, so one of the hardest things when you're dealing with physical products is how do you stock accordingly? Um, so you have the right amount, um, especially when you're dealing with anything that's a wearable t-shirts are so hard. Um, you know, if you're going and selling like clothing because you have to have so many different sizes. <laughs> so, and depending on who shows up, you might sell out of certain sizes and then not have enough supply. So you got to over, you know, overspend and it's really hard to hit your break evens. Um, but when you, I would imagine rings and any form of other wearables would not have the same level of sizing issues, but they would have some variants. So you could really customize it exactly to the person when you print it. And then you can just have it ready when you do that. Um, it, it makes me think of, there's a company in China called Sheen. Um, I don't know if you've heard of them before they do, it is a clothing manufacturer, but they use a lot of AI technology and things like that to, um, hit whatever comes up in fashion or it's popular on social media or the uh, fashion show runways. They're able to have it up on their site in just an yeah. insane turnaround. And it's all like, they'll just print it on demand and create what's needed. And it's, it's pretty wild. Just the ability of fast turnaround. Yeah. Um, so that that's what I, you know, you were talking about that, just being innovative and getting things to customers very quickly while they're hot. Cause that's the other thing too. If they're working with social media influencers and things like that, you have to strike while it's hot. Um, if it takes you three months to actually get your product to the customer, well, they've moved on by then. So you have to really get your hands of the product and really make that impression right away to have a customer that may have some form of loyalty to you. So you'll have some longevity in your business as well. Yeah, and then you, if you, you do have to pivot, you're not as invested too. 
Absolutely. You hit on a really good concept about inventory coming from lean six Sigma is my, my background. Um, this, this is, this is the Shangri-La of just in time, uh, manufacturing, right? Uh, mm-hmm. there are, there are, there are manufacturing businesses out there that pay stupid money for consultants to come in and try and get them at least closer to a just in time manufacturing, uh, that, that the concept of push and pull and all these manufacturing six Sigma word buzzwords are all fantastic. But at the end of the day, they don't have to keep inventory. There's no safety stock. There's not a concern of, Oh, you know, overproduction, uh, work in progress that costs money. All of this stuff is eliminated by this just in demand and 3d printing allows that. So yeah, it is really fascinating. All right. Well, let's bring this home, Wyatt. This yeah. has been a, a really great first attempt, I think, by us. It's, at least it was a good conversation, and I enjoyed it. So Absolutely. Worst case we, scenario is a good conversation. Yeah. So. The worst thing is we're just going to end up doing it again. Um, so we didn't right. crash and burn, which is pretty great. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So our goal for this, again, is just to, you know, really expand our knowledge around good unique opportunities that you know people have found or taken advantage of really learn a lot more about business in a non-traditional sense we have all the books behind us and all those things but we're really interested in learning from people on different aspects and and meeting and just growing those things and then hopefully um connecting with an audience eventually and really learning from them Um, that's been a big point is just community and Mm-hmm. something that I've really loved over the years and would love to continue to foster in different ways too. So, um, we'll be posting, trying to post every week, um, or we will be posting every week. That's a, there's no try. We're just going to do it. Right. Um, even if it's a very mediocre one done for my phone while someone's on vacation or in a hotel room, we'll still get her done. That's right. And, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to continuing this journey. Absolutely. I, you know, and, and that absolutely is my goal as well with this is in the future, we get to talk to people, we get to interview people and learn from them. You know, it would be cool to interview, uh, an Elon Musk or, or a huge, you know, big player, but how fascinating would it be to hear how people overcome obstacles without those resources, without a multi-billion dollar company behind them and how they had to get creative and do some off the wall, crazy stuff and use their natural gifted intelligence. I think that's fascinating. And I hope we get to meet Mm -hmm. some of those people and I hope we get to bring them on this. Yeah. You just, one of the fascinating things, especially living in rural Nebraska is there's so many wealthy people, millionaires walking down the street and you would never know it. Oh, it's so funny. They're, they're just driving their, you know, beat up trucks and they're, uh, torn jeans and the same, you know, same boots they've had for, for years and things like that. But once you dive into conversation, the amount of gold that they have is just immense. So, you know, we really want to take advantage of everything, um, not just experience, your, not just who struck it big on some big VC deal, but somebody who has done the grind for 40 years or 50 years and has seen a lot and can share insights that can help prepare the, you know, the next generation for the struggles that they may potentially go through. Well said. Well, all right, Tanner, it's been a pleasure. All right. Well, we will catch you next time.